You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. All right. Well, if you were here last week, then uh, we collectively met Gideon Sang together, um, who was going to be with us for the next month, uh, but he's had a change of personal circumstances that are going to make that difficult. So he called me this week and he told me that, and I said, I forgive this moment. <laughs> That's a quote from the sermon last week, lest that seem confusing. Um, but he, he also had good news. He said, but I know a guy named Jason who I've worked with for a long time and give him my full endorsement. So today we have Jason Minix. Um, I'm going to read these uh, biographical notes for you. Jason Minix is a father, a spiritual director, counselor, beekeeper, and occasional poet. His goat, June Apple, is about to have babies any day now. Indeed, he's an important part of keeping Austin weird. So, uh, UBC, would you join me in welcoming Jason Minix? Good morning. How are we doing today? I feel like this stool might fall apart, but we'll uh, embrace that as part of the metaphor of this morning. Um, it's really good to be with you all. Um, it's a real privilege, actually, for me uh, to get to speak, so it's been a little bit, so bear with me. Um, so as was mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week, and palms were laid before Jesus' path as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey about a week prior to his death and resurrection. Most people didn't realize the meaning of that moment. They didn't recognize what was actually happening. And I wonder if that could be true today. Like, what if the mystery of God's meaning and love are entering our lives in ways we cannot now recognize in this moment today? Living water comes to us in our greatest dryness. So as we begin our seven-day journey to Easter Sunday, next Sunday, I want to invite us to consider our thirst. So take a moment and reflect on when have you been, like, really thirsty, okay? And what happens when I thirst? And I know y'all may not be used to interaction, but if you're comfortable and you want to share out loud, you can. You don't have to. But what happens? What do you notice when you're really, really thirsty? Dry lips, yeah. What else? Headache, yeah. Get dehydrated. Irritable, yeah. It's all you can think about, yeah. Is anybody thirsty right now? <laughs> Just like beverages over there. Um, when I was in college a little while ago, I went with some friends to hike in the Gila Wilderness in New Mexico, uh, which is just gorgeous. I've got a couple pictures um, up here. And uh, we hiked in about 20 miles with these uh, full backpacks on along the river, and it was just gorgeous. And we were inside this river canyon. And we got to the end of the hike, and someone had the brilliant idea of, why don't we like hike up... Th- the, um, up to the rim of the river canyon 
and then we'll just have a different path back, essentially. Seemed like a good idea. We looked at the map. There was like this little circle of blue water you know, on the map, so of course there would be water there. So we said, great, we're in college, we can do anything. So we hike up this pretty arduous hike up the edge of this uh, river canyon and hike all day. It's really dusty, it's very super dry. And we expend all of our water and we get up to where the little blue dot is supposed to be. And there's this little circle of thick green water, we'll call it. And there was actually like a dead animal with like its skin like draped over its bones, you know, just like right at the edge of the water. It's like, of course. But we had no water. We were like miles from any water. So we're like, let's see if we can filter some water. So I know. <laughs> it doesn't get as bad as you think in that way. But um, essentially... We get this water, we filter it through like three handkerchiefs, we boil it for half an hour, and we end up with about two cups of this very murky, opaque water. And uh, we kind of look around like, you know, who's going to drink it? <laughs> like, nobody's going to drink this water. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to have to put our packs on, and we essentially have to hike back down the edge of this river canyon um, and night has fallen. There's a little bit of moonlight, but essentially we're kind of hiking in the dark and it's, it's dusty, like the dust is kind of like covering us. You ever had that when your mouth is really parched and there's like dust in your mouth and your nose? And we get to the bottom um, and we can hear the water and we finally get to the stream and it's been like, I think four or five hours of no water. Our muscles are cramping, they're sore. And we filter enough water for us to all like take that first drink together. And I can tell you like 25 years later, I still remember the taste of that cold water in the Gila wilderness. Today we're going to explore how we relate to our thirst. And our scripture passage that was just read from, it reflects on the experiences of a community moving out of hard times into what they had hoped was a better day. And their path to this new future takes them through the sparse wilderness. Just at the point they thought they would find relief, that they had suffered enough, things got worse. Our text today is about finding water in the desert, and it's also about the messy work of trusting God when our worlds as we've known them are coming apart. And many of us have experienced that in the last couple years. The first part of our passage invites us to name our places of thirst. It says, from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. So this beginning, I love the beginning of this, it says, from the wilderness of sin, which is really poetic. And I think the best understanding of sin is pretty much the choices we make um, that kind of miss the mark, but they're symptomatic of what we do to cope with our suffering and our pain. The wilderness of sin is this place of our unhealed trauma and pain which disconnect us from ourselves, God, and others. And it was actually an actual place of geography. 
It was a desert place the Israelites journeyed through. And in this metaphorical and his kind of physical place, there was no water. So I want to invite us to consider for a moment the places in your journey that are dry today. It might be like a relationship. It could be work. It could be your home, family. It could be a loss of purpose or meaning or friendship. Maybe it's a loss of what you thought and hoped your life would be. Um, this week, my place of dryness was the dentist, actually. Um, how many people love going to the dentist? I need to... Okay, we have some hands up. Okay. Are there any, like, dental workers here I need to be careful of? Okay. All right. Okay. So there's a few... There were a few hands raised. I, I have very little judgment of that. Um, I was going to say no judgment, but that's probably not true. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be honest with you. <laughs> So I had this moment, I was at the dentist, I was getting a cavity filled, and I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, why do I hate the dentist so much? And it could be the pain, it could be the sounds, it could be the drilling, it could be the pain. Um, it could be, I, just, I had some time, it could be the class they take on how to shame you for not flossing or <laughs> using the right brushing technique. I'm sure there's a class. Um, but I was sitting there and I'm waiting for the numbing shot to take effect and I had this realization that from like the ages of six to nine, there was really no one parenting me. Like no one was making me brush my teeth or taking me to the dentist. So when my mom remarried and my stepdad came in, he took me to the dentist for the first time in years and there were just these huge cavities in my mouth. And so they had to like, you know, basically carve out huge holes and fill them. And now as an adult, I have like these, I have good dental hygiene now, by the way. But I go in and I have these, these fillings that are having to be redone. And the dentist, I was like, oh, the dentist is a reminder of this place of neglect in my life. The absence of love at an important moment. And I'm dealing with the consequences of those early years still. I was like, whoa, okay. On top of everything. <laughs> I think that's also why I don't like the dentist. Um, there's more to this story I'm going to share in a minute. Um, but I want us to take a minute to consider our thirst and consider the absences of what we've needed or now need in our lives. And just take a minute. You don't have to go all the way back to seven or eight, which may not be far for some people. But See if you can just name a place of thirst, like what's missing in your life today. It could be connection with yourself or others or God. It could be touch, routine, meaning, predictability, order. It could be work feeling of peace or love or hope, rest, or something else. And I want to invite us today, this week, to make space just to be with our thirst. I think we spend so much time trying to fill it, we don't allow ourselves just a minute to acknowledge it. Because really, any time we face big change, we're going to find ourselves in spaces where our basic needs are challenged. 
Um, I remember when the pandemic began two years ago, everybody was buying up all the toilet paper. You remember that? It was like, that was the one thing we could not live without. <laughs> it was like the last straw. When there's change, when we experience lack, we may be able to relate to the people of Scripture and see how it's natural to complain when we're thirsty. The passage goes on, Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. So Moses asked, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Some Bible scholars read quarreling and testing as a lack of faith, but I think on the contrary, it takes a great deal of faith to test and quarrel with someone, if you think about it. Like quarreling is a relational word. It implies that people have the ability to affect the one that they're talking to. My kids always quarreled with me um, growing up. <laughs> and the people in this passage really believed they could affect Moses and Moses could affect God. It's an acknowledgement that we're not just passive pawns in an indifferent universe. In fact, we often only quarrel with the ones we feel safe with. But the people thirsted there for water. Their basic needs were not met. They complained against Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord. So I imagine it could feel to Moses like he's a parent dealing with like a bunch of whiny children. Have you ever been in that situation? And it could feel to God like Moses is a whiny child as well. Um, and now that I don't have crying babies, I found it really helpful this week to scroll through Google, Google images of crying children. Um, I found it like comforting my inner child or something. Um, so there's some fun photos up. Um, if you do, don't go fast. It's a little overwhelming if you just scroll through them. Okay, so every, everybody in this passage is complaining except God. It seems like God doesn't mind our complaining, like stays connected with us in it somehow. And sometimes it just feels good to whine a little bit. Have you ever, have you ever asked someone, like, how's it going? And they say, oh, I can't complain. You know, have you gotten that response? Sometimes if I'm feeling mischievous, I'll kind of be like, oh, sure you can. Like... <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> no. It's like I'm challenging complaint impotency or something. Uh, like, you can do it. You've got this. And I know there's such a thing as too much complaining. So if you have a black belt in complaining, you could probably dial it back a notch. Like, you know, just a little bit. But complaint is actually a form of prayer. Complaining to God is a way of bringing the edges of ourselves and ourselves into a relationship with divine mystery. Um, okay, so I'm back at the dentist, and my face is like half numb, and there's like water and whirring sounds in my, you know, opening wide mouth. And I'm having the epiphany like, oh, the dentist is this place. It reminds me of absence. And I haven't like really talked to God very much in like a couple of years. And so I thought, oh, this is a great place to start in the dentist. And I'm there, and I just said, where were you, you know? 
Like, why did you let this happen? You know? And with my eyes closed, I could see this seven or eight-year-old me who was wandering the neighborhood catching lizards for like hours. This was my boyhood. And I used to go in and out of the neighbor's yards and I'd walk around their houses and then they would come out and be like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm catching lizards. <laughs> Obviously, you know. <laughs> what are you doing, you know? <laughs> They're kind of like, I live here, you know. No idea about private property, trespassing. <laughs> it's like, got to catch these lizards. Um, and so then they go back in their house, and they come out, and they bring me these empty coffee cans to put the lizards in. I feel really bad for the, liz the lizards now. Um, but you know what I remembered when I was in the dentist chair that day, like what I saw, um, was somehow I didn't feel alone. And I spent days doing that. In fact, I could feel and almost see a presence with me, watching me, that was so full. It was like water. Uh, wish it had a toothbrush also. <laughs> but my simple prayer of complaint to God was like, where were you? Like, what was going on? And it opened me in a way I have not been open for a couple of years, actually. So I want to invite you to notice if your complaining is opening you or closing you. Notice if you're not complaining is opening or closing you. Sometimes our silent suffering isn't noble. It's just repression. It's hiding. It's pain. So this week, if you're up for it, complain to God. Practice the prayer of complaint. Make a place for your prayers and complaints to be brought before God. Maybe write them out if it helps you. Share what's difficult. Name the disruptions and invite them to be held in God's presence as you journey through your week. And it's kind of cool. Like It's kind of amazing how when we have permission to include our edges, we can notice how things can shift just slightly in us even when the source or the circumstance of the complaint doesn't change at all. And sometimes it doesn't feel better right away. But I notice there's just this subtle shift, this subtle change that happens. And in our passage, we see that after the naming of thirst and the complaining, they actually experience a quenching. Our quenching comes within the places of dryness. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. So God may not have made water appear out of thin air, may not have changed weather patterns, because it's important to know that there is actually natural, like water naturally flowing within rock formations in the desert. So the scientific part of me is like, maybe he showed him where the water was in the rock already. I don't know. I'm just saying. Um, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I kind of like the idea that God works with nature sometimes too. So... But what we can see is that in the, in the wilderness, even though it can be deadly, it also holds what's necessary for life. And in the midst of the desolate places and times in our lives, even now, there is quenching. 
It says that Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massah means testing and Meribah means quarreling. And in that place, they asked this fundamental question, is the Lord with us or not? In the wilderness of sin and suffering, when our needs are disrupted, when we thirst, it's difficult to see God's presence in our lives. To dare to trust that God exists or even cares about us is a profound risk. And this risk is the risk of faith. It's relational. It's natural to ask in those times and times like that, does God even care? Is this even relevant to what I'm going through? Um, I came across a really cool interview not long ago that seems really connected with our inquiry today. This is with Padre Gotuma, who's a poet, writer, and activist. Um, he also has a cool Irish accent. And he's sharing about how vital trust and faith are to engaging and reversing our collective separation and shame. So let's take a listen. I think if you click on his photo, it's supposed to work. I could try to replicate it, but my Irish accent is really bad. <laughs> and it kind of like eventually blends into, uh, it's the one before that. Oh yeah, cool. You ever notice when you try to do an accent, sometimes you only have one accent, but you think you have multiple ones. <laughs> it's like my Irish, British, and Australian accent, not that distinguishable. <laughs> and probably not much fidelity to, uh, the, anyway, we don't need to have that experience today. <laughs> Not necessary, no. And if it's not gonna happen, it's all good. Well, what I'll share, yeah? Thinking about how sometimes when we look at our history, we have a visceral response of shame. And it's no wonder we don't want to look at it. And mm -hmm. shame begins in the body. I think shame's first language is the body. And then we put language around it. And then we put protections around it. And then curricula and policy and um, elections around shame. Mm -hmm. But it begins in the individual language of the body. And it's understandable that it is so seizing of us. It is like being arrested by something. It, I mean, it, it, it does stop you. And um, I was trying to think for a long time, what's a counterpoint? Not a challenge, but what's a counterpoint to shame? And, and I think it's trust, or, or one, one of the things. I mean, I, these aren't exact sciences, but there is a um, phrase in Irish, uh, if you want to say, I trust you, and... In Irish, we have an understanding that why bother using one word when you can use 10? Uh, so, uh, and so it's a long phrase of, to, to speak about trust. And the phrase is, um, You are the place where I stand on the day when my feet are sore. And when we can look to our shameful pasts and 
in national contexts, we all have shameful pasts. The Irish, we love to talk about, you know, aren't we all against the British? However, then when you look at the history of the Irish in Jamaica and Australia, we went there and did everything that was done to us. And so we didn't learn very well from our hunger that drove us from the land. And so I find that there is shame to be discovered in so many narratives and that some way of thinking, to whom can I turn to find my place of standing when it feels like the world is on fire? Um, and for me, that's the invitation of a painful history, is to do that together. And that is always difficult, but it is always true. And anything else fails us. It's just imagining that as a way to begin to open the question of what it means to trust God. You are the place where I stand on the day when my feet are sore. And then he asked, to whom can I turn to find my place of standing when the world's on fire? Who can I trust? Is the Lord among us or not? Trust isn't certainty. It's a place to stand when our feet are sore, when our hearts ache and our minds exhaust us. I've spoken to many people the past years who are processing so many disruptions, canceled weddings, graduations, relationships ending, birthdays, funerals they cannot attend, jobs lost or uncertain. For some of us, our wounding has actually been done in the name of God. And I will say that that's not God. And I honor the courage it took for you to show up today and try again. Friends, we're being invited into the profound risk of trusting God, especially when things aren't going well. Faith isn't the denial of suffering or the promise that you won't be touched by tragedy. It's the promise that God's presence is available to us in the middle of it in big and small ways, and that sometimes that presence can make all the difference. So in that spirit, I want to invite us today to risk a little bit of trust. And this is for me as well. <laughs> I'm on this journey with you. To have an honest conversation with God this week. Because when we bring ourselves, and like when you actually just show up and bring what's really here, like put it out there, somehow we bring ourselves into the space in a different way. And we might even find a place of standing when our feet are sore from standing alone. In this time when our usual distractions don't work or are unavailable, when we're flooded with emotions and thoughts that are too big and overwhelming, may we find there's also something else present that there is water, a place where we might test and quarrel to even begin to say a little bit, I trust you, or I want, I want to trust you, or I want to want to trust you. Start where you are, because when Moses did, he received these words in reply. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there 
not in the clouds, not in the future, not in the past, not behind you. God said, I'll, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so the people may drink. So, beautiful people of UBC, I want to offer these questions as a prayer in closing today. To whom can I turn to find my place of standing when the world's on fire? Who can I trust? Is God among us or not? Will we dare to risk a little bit of trust this week? May this God of desert water meet us in the parched places this week. We ask all this in the promise of the Father, the abundance of the Son, and the scrappy hope of the Holy Spirit. Amen.